Hello, and welcome to My Life is a Lightning Talk. I'm Simon. And I'm Jenny. We're Jimon. Interesting. Fun fact. I'm a dog, <laughs> and I play basketball. Oh my god, tell me more. <laughs> the truth comes out live on this podcast. <laughs> the theme of the week is... You just blew my mind. Huh? I have another question. Very, very good question. Cue me going down a Wikipedia rabbit hole for the next three hours. Let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of My Life is a Lightning Talk. I'm Simon. And I'm Jenny. And we're Jimon. Today we're going to be continuing on our theme from last episode of kids' movies. Now, what I wanted to talk to you today about is a certain type of kids' movie, and that's movies that involve animals. So in my mind, when I was thinking back of all the movies I saw in the sort of mid to late 90s, early 2000s, all that my brain could come up with repeatedly is film after film of movies starring animals. Lion King. <laughs> I got a list. That's all but, I got. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Lion King. So so I thought I'd go through a little history and, and weave you a tale and, and we'll end up on a, on, a, on a favorite spot of mine that I've been obsessing over over the past couple weeks. So there's a long history of animals starring in movies, especially dogs. If you can think there's many sort of long-standing famous franchises involving Man's Best Friend of Lassie and Old Yeller, Rin Tin Tin and Littlest Hobo. But I sort of remember this time in the 90s of all these animal movies starting to come out. And I was wondering, is it me? Is it some sort of bias I have with sort of the types of movies that I watch? Or was there actually more animal-based kids movies that was being produced at this time aka more than just the lion king aka more than just the lion king so let me list you all the sort of main animal movies that i can immediately recognize myself there there are more than on this list but number one lion king King. (laughs) so for this i'm i'm particularly interested in movies that are live action movies that star live animals lion king on broadway lion king on broadway starring the live animals (laughs) Yeah. Anyways. Sorry. Um, so in 1991 is the premiere of the movie Beethoven, the big old St. Bernard. Beethoven was 91? Beethoven was 91. Oh, I watched all of Beethoven. Right? So you got Beethoven in, in 91 of like this big slobbery dog mm-hmm. family. They get into hijinks, et cetera, et cetera. And also in 1991, there's White Fang starring a very, very young Ethan Hawke. Oh. Beethoven second in 1992. They're starting to pick up a trend of like, oh, people start starting to like these dog movies. Free Willy in 93. Mm-hmm. Homeward Bound also in 93. 1994, there's a Lassie remake and also a movie called Andre that stars a seal. Oh. Um, Babe <laughs> premieres in 1995. There's a live action 101 Dalmatians in 96, as mm-hmm. well as a movie called Dustin Checks In with an orangutan at a hotel. Also in 96 is the movie Ed which is where a chimpanzee is the mascot of a baseball team that oh. Matt LeBlanc from Friends plays in. Wow. Uh, Homeward Bound 2, 96. Flipper, 1996. Shiloh, 1996. Oh. Air Bud, 97. Joey, 1997. Air Bud 2 and Babe 2 in 98. <laughs> Stuart Little, that one's animated, but it has a couple like live cats as well uh, in Little. 99. Well, Stuart Little is... Well, the, like the rest of it's live action, yeah, except for the actual It's just mouse. the actual mouse, yeah. I would be very surprised if you could train a mouse to do all the things that Little did. <laughs> He's one smart mouse. Airbud 3 in the year 2000, Cats and Dogs, 2001. Yeah, Shout out to there. Rebecca, go team cat. Airbud 4, 2002, Snow Dogs, 2002, Kangaroo Jack in 2003. 
honorable mention goes to Wishbone. It was a TV series, but it was in 95 to 97. Mm -hmm. So with all these animal movies, I sort of took a look at some of the data and I made some little graphs and charts, which obviously aren't great at showing over a podcast, but I'll put some, uh, some stuff up on our Instagram, which once again is my life is a lightning talk. All one word. Follow it for a bunch of graphs that I spent too long on. <laughs> Ooh, graphs! Graphs. So we see these years of like, there's a lot of sort of live action, different animals. It starts primarily with dogs, but then sort of starts to branch out with, you know, things like chimpanzees and cats and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, like, where does this come from? Why are they making so many of these animal movies? And it sort of starts as a trend. This isn't anywhere that I can find on the internet. This is just sort of for the rest of this episode, just like Simon's inner thoughts. And like, I'm trying to explain to myself whether this is real or not. But what I can pinpoint is in the year 1974, it premieres a movie called Benji about a small little like mutt dog, sort of like a Shih Tzu. I don't exactly know the type of dog, but the small little dog that goes on adventures, it was produced for half a million dollars ends up making $45 million in the box office. Wow. And it's known because it was rejected by every major studio mm. that the owner of the sort of idea, sort of wrote, create, directed it, had this idea, pitched it to everyone. Nobody wanted it, so he decided to make it himself. <laughs> box office hit in 1974. Yeah. And that's, like, that's 1974 That's 1974 money. money. Yeah, so inflation, that's, that's like, that's big bucks back then. Yeah. So this is sort of this idea that starring a dog in a movie can be big there's something there it's kid friendly mm-hmm. so benji premieres in 1974 it has a couple of sequels in 1977 1980 starring chevy chase box office bomb everyone hates that one by <laughs> the way yikes 1987 once again it's a hit makes a lot of money and then again it gets rebooted in 2004 and then even in 2018 it gets picked up for another sequel by netflix wow this one was produced by Jason Bloom, who's like a huge Hollywood producer. Mm. He's the guy behind Paranormal Activity, mm. Insidious. He did oh, Whiplash, what? Get Out. Oh. It's like making this sort of boring dog movie remake, hmm. which is another sort of like I said in VeggieTales last episode. It's sort of a sign of the times of these movies start out, bit of a cult hit. They sell a lot of VHSs, a lot of DVDs. They pick up some steam. They get rebooted, rebooted, gets bigger and bigger, picked up by streaming services, And it's like a nice summary of Mm -hmm. how our media landscape has changed over the years, right? So we have the 1990s chunk of movies that I just named. And that, again, starts with these two movies that come out in 1989. Are sort of this this spark that launches our 1990s animal movies. Mm -hmm. And it's a set of twin films called K-9, starring Jim Belushi in 1989. And Turner and Hooch, starring Tom Mm. Hanks in 89. So a twin film, by the way, for anyone that doesn't know, is a set of two movies that come out at pretty well the exact same time, usually in the same calendar year, that are based on the same, almost same plot or same premise, that are very close to each other. So some examples are, um, let's see, uh, No Strings Attached and Friends Friends with with Benefits came out same year, different actors, The Prestige and The Illusionist. Yeah. Both about magicians, same year. Sometimes it's a historical thing of mm. um, if an anniversary of an event comes out, everyone will have that on their minds, and then Hollywood will try to make a movie to sort of capture that. Yeah. If it's like 9-11 or a certain war or something mm. like that. But this idea of two Hollywood studios that are rushing to produce this content, and they know that another studio might have a similar script, and they want to get theirs out first so that they're the bigger original one. So... 
I think Turner and Hooch had more of a cultural impact. That's the one um, I remember. Yeah, K-9 was a little bit less known, but actually made more in the box office. Interesting. Turner and Hooch made more in VHS sales, though. Mm. And a big thing about Turner and Hooch is that at the time, it was the most money paid for by a script by that production studio. Oh, okay. Touchstone Studios was the one that made it. Paid a million dollars for the script. Wow. So they saw, wait a minute, buddy cop movie starring a human and a dog? That sounds hilarious. We need to make this movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter if Jim Belushi's doing the same thing. We got to make it. So anyways, they premiered three months apart. So it's pretty close. Okay. But this, once again, starts this launch of humans and dogs coexist. It starts to build this infrastructure. All of a sudden, there are now larger animal trainers that can sort of help train dogs to do cool tricks that mm-hmm. can then be on production studios. So that's that's my theory number one is just... Like begets like. Yeah. The more you have something, the more that it's going to make and inspire other people to make that sort of similar content. My second sort of theory on this issue is the introduction of the home movie theater. Mm. So as sort of a little bit of a history lesson, the VCR and the VHS produced by JVC, it was introduced to in the United States in 1977. And when it starts in the 70s, it costs $4,000 after inflation. What? So it's like it's wildly expensive. Only the, the yeah. rich and bougie are, are buying VHSs. But, you know, as they start to be produced, they slowly go down in price. In the late 70s, there's sort of that infamous war with Betamax from Sony as they're trying different competing systems, mm. which then inspires JVC to drastically lower their price to sort of get that market domination. Mm. By the mid-90s, a VCR system costs less than $300, and a VHS tape, which is the key, costs less than $30. Mm-hmm. So back in the day, it cost over $100 to just buy the movie itself yeah. because it wasn't a phenomenon of owning Jeez. movies. Because so many production companies were worried that if you could own a movie, you would not want to go out to see the movie. Yeah. So another thing is Blockbuster opened up in 1985. Okay. And that starts the whole, or is one of the biggest events of that home movie rental industry Mm -hmm. so all of a sudden there's this huge market for people that are both buying vhs tapes and renting vhs tapes and that sort of opens up the market for this new type of content and that type of content is a lower budget film that is easier to make easier to get in the hands of consumers and most often is sort of family friendly and child friendly Mm -hmm. so by 1997 97 percent of u.s homes had televisions and 88 percent had vcrs in them yeah so there's complete dominance Mm -hmm. everyone and their mother has a vcr tape sorry vcr machine and a vhs tape that they're watching and they're watching all types of things from veggie tales (laughs) to uh to cartoon all-stars to the rescue right as we had in our last episode also dvds introduced in 1996 dvd rentals surpassed vhs's in 2003 And by 2008 or so, DVDs are then dominant in the market. So altogether, after a couple of years and decades of people becoming more familiarized with having a home theater system, people are now buying all of these VHS tapes and wanting this sweet, sweet content. Mm -hmm. So another thing is about these animal movies is that they start making a lot of money. (laughs) And that's why Hollywood, Hollywood loves a formula. Oh like, god, like yeah. right nowadays with any sort of superhero movie, anything uh, that you can sink money in that's what I was gonna that say. gets a 10x increase yep. in money is a is a surefire hit. So in nineteen ninety one when Beethoven premiered, it had a budget of eighteen million, it had a box office of hundred and fifty million. Wow. It's more than eight times what it was produced for. So Hollywood studios are sort of getting the money signs in their eyes and they're saying, Hey, wait a minute, we can take 
a simple family. We can take a dog and a dog trainer. We can put them together, hash up a script. They go on some adventure. They end up loving each other, blah, 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 blah. Produce it cheaply. Make a lot of money. We are in. Oh, my God. Another thing is that it's not as expensive to produce these types of movies compared to traditional animation methods Mm. or sort of the new CGI field that's sort of starting out. So smaller studios can also produce this type of family-friendly, animal-based content. (laughs) (laughs) So within that niche of animal movies, I want to dive into a (laughs) sub-niche and get really specific of a certain type of movie, which is animals playing sports. Air Bud! Air Bud. MVP, Most Valuable Primate! Thank you. Okay, here we go. Sorry, I'm I'm spoiling the whole episode, aren't I? It's okay, because we're going there. Yes! So anyways, I when I started thinking about all these animal movies, I had all these thoughts of like, why, is it just my memory or were there a lot of movies about animals playing sports? Yeah. And there are. Uh, <laughs> so a brief history about animals in movies playing sports. The first definitive movie with an animal that plays sport is in actually 1952. So it's called Bonzo Goes to College. Oh my God. <laughs> and it stars a chimp that plays football. Wait, what kind of football? Oh, sorry, American football. American football. Hand egg, if you will. (laughs) Wonderful. It's 1952, Chimp Plays Football. It does all right. A couple of other duds happen in the 70s and 80s. There's a movie called Gus, which is about a donkey that plays as a football kicker or hand egg kicker. Um, Thank you. In 1978, there's a movie called Matilda, which is a boxing kangaroo. What? Wait, sorry, what year? Uh, 78. 78, Matilda. So it's primarily like a, a man in a kangaroo costume. It's not yet oh, okay. a full animal trained animal Does playing a sport. Does the kangaroo have powers? No, just a lame, boring kangaroo, ah, unfortunately. Okay. Later we have uh, that movie that I mentioned before, Ed, which is that chimp mascot for mm-hmm. Matt LeBlanc's uh, baseball team. In 1996, we have Soccer Dog the Movie, which was... It came out after the first Airbud, but came out before the Airbud sequel where they played soccer. So oh. it's the first dog-based soccer movie that came out. So they beat it to the Jeez. punch. 2005, there's Racing Stripes, which is a zebra that horse races. Oh 2013, Mr. Go, which is a Korean movie about a baseball-playing gorilla. Okay. So there's not as many as I thought until we'll go into our next segment, but <laughs> <laughs> which may or may not be Airbud, but... I was primarily, I think, in my mind, confusing it with all of the sports movies and all the animal movies. Okay. And there's that small, like, bit of a Venn diagram yep. in between in which Airbud and Most Valuable Primate lives. Yeah. All those sports movies that I was originally thinking of, movies like The Sandlot, Mighty Ducks 1 and 2, yep. Space Jam, Rookie of the Year, Little Giants, Angels in the Outfield, all premiered between 1993 and 1996 or so. Mm-hmm. So, once again, it sort of goes to show that Hollywood loves a formula of if they can stick a dog and a family together and make a film, that's another thing. If they can have a kid play on a baseball team, that's another formula. All these movies are making a lot of money, so every studio is trying to cash in. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Before we get into our biggest topic, we're just going to take a quick break and have a little ad. As Christmas quickly approaches, now is the perfect time to be sending Christmas cards and holiday letters. But why wait in line for hours at the post office just to pick up the supplies you need? Especially with all the, well, you know, COVID, 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 coronavirus. Introducing Envelopes.ca, the all-new way to print your packaging needs at home. 
Anyone with a home printer can now print their own, real, postage-grade envelopes. Get a free two-week trial when you go to envelopes.ca and use the promo code MLLT. Simply print out our envelope templates and cut and glue your envelopes together. Envelopes.ca. Sending mail the better way. Stamps not included. Here we go. I would like to talk about the greatest multi-sport athlete of our time. I am not talking about Bo Jackson, who played both NFL and baseball professionally. Airbud. That's right. I want to talk about Airbud, who actually makes an appearance in our intro theme song. When I say, I'm a dog that plays basketball, in my Nick Cage impression from last episode. Oh yeah, what a good throwback. Anyway, so that's primarily what brought this idea of Airbud, because I was thinking of it after we had a little Airbud con air confusion, mm-hmm. and it got me thinking of, how weird is Airbud? Well, it's so weird that I need to tell you all about it. <laughs> Here we go. Did you know that Airbud is based on the real life of a real dog? There was actually what? a dog named Buddy, which a man named Kevin DeSico, who was an American writer and actor, found as a stray in the summer of 1989 oh in the Sierra Nevada mountains. He found him while on a hike. He found him and named him Buddy. He brought him home and trained him in all types of sports, including basketball, baseball, football, soccer, hockey, although basketball was Buddy's favorite sport. <laughs> And he was touted as, and I quote, the Michael Jordan of dogs. Oh, my God. <laughs> so there are primarily five main Airbud movies of the franchise. There's five? There's five. Over what years? Uh, over the years 1997 to... Oh, I'm sorry. 2003. What? Yeah. They made that many movies and that... Well, I guess a dog's lifespan is considerably shorter than a human so that makes sense i was gonna avoid the actual real life longevity of the real dog behind Airbud, but a little bit too sad oops sorry we're, we're gonna keep it on the happier end so Airbud, they made five movies in total from the years 1997 to 2003 there's about seven and a half hours of content there but they also made a total of seven sort of semi-sequel movies called air buddies which are Airbud's children Aww. Which don't all play sports. I mean, there's like various sport sporting elements in mm-hmm. them, but they don't play sports directly like Airbud does. And they can also talk to each other with like human dubbed voices. What? Yeah, they talk to each other. I think it's like telepathically. I haven't watched them, so I don't fully know. Oh my uh, god! Those movies go as follows: Air Buddies, Snow Buddies, Space Buddies, Santa Buddies, Spooky Buddies, Treasure Buddies, and Super Buddies. Wait, 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 wait. Snow Buddies? Snow Buddies. Was Airbud's Kids? Airbud's Kids. Oh, No, what? sorry. Different than Snow Dogs, though. Oh. Snow Dogs, the, like, husky racing movie. Maybe that's what I'm with... thinking of. Okay. Sorry, 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 I can sorry. Pull it, I can pull it Cuba Gooding Jr. Different movie than Snow Buddies. But back to Airbud. Five movies in which he plays five different sports. And, oh, man, Jenny, I have qualms. I have <laughs> so many qualms. Hit me. I, for the record, I have not watched... A full Airbud movie. Throughout this research, I did clips, mm-hmm. and I it's the type of movie that you see a little bit on television yeah, now and yeah. again in the past twenty years. You know of it, but you haven't seen a I haven't full seen thing it. front to back. I've done a lot of research on Airbud, and it's it's driven me insane. It's a it's a hot pool of fire that's been burning me from the inside. Oh, I'm so and, sorry. And uh, buckle down because we're going to talk about Airbud. Here we go. Click. I'm buckled. <laughs> I'm ready. Let's go. Hit me. So the first Airbud movie comes out 1997. We're far on this trend of animals are playing sports, 
their animals are just being animals. They're doing their thing. So the first Airbud movie, budget is $3 million, ends up making $27 million. Whoa. Almost 10 times the amount, right? So there's this formula of, hey, people love dogs. Must love dogs. Must love dogs. Must love dogs. It's a simple premise of a boy loves a dog who was stolen from an alcoholic clown. Oh, dear. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. Some of these movies get a little weird. So there's this, like I said, alcoholic clown that is very mean to a dog. The dog essentially escapes. This boy finds the dog, teaches him how to play basketball because he knows sort of all types of circus tricks. You look how like do you you're teach a dog how to play basketball? Well, that's the thing of like this dog could actually kind of play basketball. It would sort of boop it with its nose and it could get it into the rim and the hoop. It knew that it had to get it in the basket. Yeah, uh-huh. And like you'd huh. feed it treats and stuff, I yeah, guess, yeah, to yeah, incentivize. Yeah. But no, on like a decently small sized basketball net, you could get this dog to sort of poke up a ball into the net. Mm-hmm. So based on this sort of like simple trick, they made an entire movie. Oh, my God. So this dog then becomes the mascot to the boys' basketball team. Everyone loves that this dog can do tricks. Everything looks fine. All of a sudden, it's the championship game, and we see Airbud join the team and start playing basketball, blowing the minds of, of audiences and the elementary school kids themselves, yep. I'm sure. Now, here's a point I'd like to clear up, and something that I've been very guilty of myself over the years is that it's a common belief that a kid is benched so that Airbud can play. Oh. Uh, and something that I like to joke about all the time of like, can you imagine being that kid that's benched so that the dog can play because the dog's better than you? <laughs> the dog is better than you. It, it's all over Twitter and Tumblr and everything. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. So what actually happens is the basketball team suffers three injuries and they're only down to four players. So they'll have to forfeit. So what happens is the Timberwolves basketball team is their name. They suffer three injuries, and they can only field four players for the team, and you need five. So they're going to have to quit and forfeit their championship game, but then they realize, what if we sub on Buddy, our friend, friendly neighborhood dog that also plays basketball? Okay. So instead of one kid being benched because he's not that good, we instead now have three kids that have been injured. Yeah. <laughs> not sure what's better. Right? <laughs> And the injuries are like kind of silly injuries. Like they sort of like tumble on the ground and go, I don't want to play as kids do. Yeah. But right. So this dog comes in and the sort of the main protagonist goes up to the to the coach and says, no, you know, my dog can play. My dog can play. And the coach goes over to the to the referee's table and says, we'd like to submit our, our dog to play in the championship game. And his logic is, and I quote, Buddy is a registered member of the team. He practices with the team and travels with the team. Check your rule book. And the ref sort of look, quickly looks over his rule book, mind-blowingly quick, and says, he's right. Ain't no rules that say dogs can't play basketball. Oh, my God. Which, okay, there's a lot to unpack in that sentence. Yep. Because there may not be a rule specifically that says dog can't play basketball, but there's got to be some sort of rule that says, hey, maybe humans should play this sport. The thing that I like to consider is the rule that has to come after that from Airbud, mm-hmm. where now whenever a ref is checking the rule books, it has to say only a human may play mm-hmm. this, and it has to specify humans. It's the Airbud clause, right? Of like, if you can break a yeah. rule so badly that they have to make a new rule about it, you're kind of a legend. Yeah. So anyways, this dog is allowed to play, which is this weird thing of like, there must be rules saying that... If it's like a boys' basketball game, 
that girls aren't allowed to play. So it's a weird thing. They're like, oh, we won't let girls play, but we'll let a dog play. It's like, that's a weird. Well, is it a boy dog? Gender thing. It's a boy dog for reference. Has that boy been fixed though? (laughs) I don't know. But this this issue of uh, dogs and sports and gender will will come into play later. We'll see. (laughs) So anyways, dog's allowed to play. Dog does amazingly well against these awful playing basketball children who can barely score themselves. And he has a 1.0 shooting average, so he he pretty well makes every shot, or he does make every shot he takes. So he's the Michael Jordan of dogs. Wow. Also, his, as a fun fact, fun fact, the jersey he comes out with says K9. Of course it it does, does. That's his number? That's his number. Also includes a letter. (laughs) Airbud also sports a, in my mind, fresh pair of Jordans for shoes. Just like the cutest, but he also wears shoes? oh, he wears shoes. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. He wears shoes and a little jersey, and it's the cutest pair of dog shoes I think I've ever seen. And if we ever get a dog, we need oh, to get it. When we get a dog. When we get a dog. Number one, teaching it basketball. Number, number two, two, fresh kicks. Yes. So he's got a great pair of shoes. How does Buddy play basketball? Now this is where it gets interesting. Buddy can't really dribble. He sort of boops it with his nose, but can't actively dribble as is a key tenant of basketball. Now, the thing with Buddy is that he's facing his opponents, which are all under four foot tall, and he's just making a havoc of the the scene because they're all very bad at basketball. It's also elementary school basketball. It's also elementary school basketball. The stakes are so low. There are no stakes. It is the championships, though. Of what? uh, We don't know of what, but it's the championships. (laughs) Anyways, so Buddy wins jump balls and jump shots by barking and intimidating the other children. Like, they'll throw the ball up to sort of reset the game. And he jumps up and barks in their face. Imagine if a kid did that. (laughs) It got up in another kid's face. (laughs) Yeah. Right? It would probably work at least the first time. Okay, but is that that also legal? I don't know all the rules of basketball, but I'd assume it'd be... You couldn't, like, hit them or anything to, like, put them off. But I think if you just made a weird sound... But in, like, an elementary school game, would would they encourage that type of... I I forget the word I'm I think, like you said, the stakes are pretty low, so they wouldn't really care. Okay, yeah, fair. So in summation, kids suck at sports, especially when it's basketball. (laughs) The hoops are far lower, too, than sort of, like, anything adult or regulation Mm. as you can imagine they're very short hoops which allow him to sort of boop the ball with his nose into the net also you'd think that a dog would hurt its nose hitting it with a basketball basketballs are hard right aren't i don't know much about dog noses but i'm assuming that you know too much have you ever like bouncing off of it your finger on a yeah all the nerves in it right yeah another weird thing about airbud plots is that there's always a weird b plot and Sort of like alternative than the main plot. Yeah, yeah. I Not a plot, plot about is. bees, which is what I would love in a movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> There's always a weird B plot. And with these B plots, as this series gets more and more movies, the B plot gets weirder and weirder. So in the first movie, the B plot is this alcoholic clown owner of Airbud tries to get custody back after seeing him on television, after seeing Airbud become famous and he wants that i'm sorry an elementary school basketball game was on tv it, it made the news because this dog was was shooting oh, okay hoops. it made the news that okay that makes sense so he tries to get custody back and it actually is a case that gets taken to an actual judge and for some reason this court case is presided outside like it's not in an actual court it's just like in a schoolyard parking lot this judge decides what? 
who the owner of Airbud should be, this clown or the young boy. Does the judge like have a kid at the school? Like, does it happen to be there? don't know i can only theorize right oh man maybe we should actually watch the movie i say watch at least the first airbud because that's the most like critically acclaimed out of all of them okay. else sort of like yeah, yeah. quickly jump the shark yeah which is i don't know shark jumping is that another animal playing sports movies that could happen we'll see anyways a fun ending of that airbud movie is this by the way there's going to be a lot of airbud spoilers if anyone has waited this long to see all of the airbud movies i'm i'm sorry but i don't <laughs> think there are that many airbud <laughs> fans that are holding out. Anyways, the ending of the first movie is pretty well the judgment of Solomon, which is that old tale of two mothers are feuding over yeah. a child and the judge says, tear it apart and whoever wins will get the remains. And the real mother is like, I don't want to do that. That's my baby. And the yeah. judge goes, you're the real mom. But that essentially happens. The judge is like, we'll put Airbud in the middle and whoever's owner it goes to. That'll be the owner. So we oh, sort it's of like, like the typical like dog thing. Yeah. So it like sniffs the clown and barks at him because he hates his old abusive owner and yeah. then goes over to the boy and everyone cheers and it's the end. Yeah. So that's Airbud plays basketball. So a uh, weird premise, but sort of makes sense. And then we get into the, the sequels. Oh, no, that was just one of them. So here's what I'm going to say before I introduce the next Airbud movie, which aired in 1998. Airbud movies as movies. Not particularly great. Airbud movie titles as puns, slap for days. Okay. The one where he plays football is called Airbud Golden Receiver. Wow. It's pretty good. Wow. I couldn't come up with anything better. Like, imagine if in the first movie it was a beagle or something, you'd be stuck with that. But they have Golden Retriever, Golden Receiver, and they're like, you know what? We've got to make him play football now. We've got this great pun. He's got to play football. The whole movie is based on that pun. Once again, sort of same premise movie as the first. The boy now joins the school's football team, but he runs onto the field once. After he's been kicked off of the <laughs> basketball team because his dog replaced him. Right. So the thing about Airbud Golden Receiver is that I don't believe that a dog can catch a full-sized normal football. In all of the clips that I saw of Airbud trying to catch the ball, it looks as if they've sort of like deflated the ball or used like a non-regulation mm. ball. So it's this idea that it's hard to catch a full football, so they must have deflated it somehow. A couple years ago in the NFL, there was actually this big case where the New England Patriots slightly deflated their own footballs to make them easier to catch, and it caused a huge controversy. Mm -hmm. So one can only imagine what happens when you deflate all your footballs so your dog teammate can (laughs) catch them. So I don't believe that a dog could actually catch all these footballs, especially if you're throwing, you know, massive spirals downfield. A dog not having arms and only having a mouth is a very, like, small target to catch from. I mean, footballs are hard to catch anyway. Footballs are hard to catch. They're not made for catching. Prove me wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can't catch one, that's for sure. (laughs) Another thing with dogs playing football is that it brings in a lot of weird ethical conundrums of, like, is it okay to tackle a dog? Yeah. So there's this scene in the movie where a player actually tackles Airbud, and it's kind of jarring in my mind. Yeah, you can't it, tackle a dog. Yeah, it's mean, right? And he doesn't have full padding. So for reference, he has like little cute shoulder pads and oh. a very loose-fitting helmet. But he doesn't have the full like body protection that you yeah. would have in actual football. So the whole team like jumps on the field. He's playing rugby. Playing rugby. What's he doing? Playing rugby at a football game. It's actually called dogby when it's a dog. <laughs> Roughby. There we go. Sequel. Write it down. Editor's note. 
Pugby. Things get weirder in this movie when you incorporate the B-plot of the movie. So the B-plot of this movie now is that Buddy gets captured by Russians who want him to perform in a Russian circus. So not only does he have to play football and lead his other high school team to another championship, he also has to escape a pair of Russians who are uh, trying to have him join the circus. So as we can see, it's just like a slow descent into madness, starting with a lot of weird clown nonsense. How is he doing both? I mean, these movies just go on for way longer than they should. (laughs) Okay. Like, I ask these questions assuming that you have seen all of them, Mm. which... I'm assuming No, not. oh god, there's, okay. there's eight hours of content that I did download and like peeked through, but yeah. wouldn't even torture myself that yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the second movie, it was sort of a bomb in the box office. Budget was 11 million, only made 10 million back. And after that movie, all the rest of the Airbud movies went straight to D- uh, DVD or VHS. Oh, wow. Third movie, Airbud world pup oh right how good of a soccer pun is that oh that's why it's like uh, you know what i'll allow a lot of the shenanigans that go on in these airbud movies because the pun titles are so good they're so cute now here's the thing about airbud world pup though it brings this old debate of that classic meme of if a dog wore pants would it wear it like this or like this Mm-hmm. By that I mean, like, is it just the pants on the two hind legs? Yes. Or does it cover the... No. <laughs> I fully That's agree. That's where a shirt goes. <laughs> or does it cover sort of all four limbs running along the side of it? Once again, pants are made to cover butts. It goes on the hind legs to cover yes. a butt. Thank you. I'm glad we're right. in agreement. Now, here's where Airbud World Pup sort of switches things up. Oh, no. It gets Airbud to wear what I will describe as a shirt... So it covers its forward two limbs, not the back two limbs, the forward two limbs, but it has shin pads on the forward two limbs. Dogs have elbows. Okay, we talk about this all the time. This is a common debate. Right? So Are the front paws (laughs) legs? I say no. They have elbows. They're arms. Here's where I will concede my, my hill that I've so long stood upon. The front limbs of cats and dogs, technically speaking, are arms. Yes. M- medically, they have elbows, they have radius, or radii, I guess, radii, ulnas, humeruses, all the bones of an arm. Oh my god, you did all of the anatomy research. I did all the anatomy research. Thank you. Dogs have arms on their front, same with cats. I just like calling everything a leg oh, because yeah. well, it's very funny when they're just sticking it. I agree. I agree. Anyways, so the front limbs of the dog, if they're having all these arm bones, are therefore arms. So what you've done is you put shin pads on the dog's arms. If you look at footage of Airbud running and kicking this ball, he's actually constantly handballing by hitting it with his front forward limbs. Yeah. So that's the Airbud conundrum of this movie of if you're calling the front two limbs arms, then he's never actually playing soccer because he's only committing handball fouls. Okay, so here's the thing, though. Mm. Here's my argument for it. Let me hear. They are arms. Okay. But do they have hands? Uh, Since their front paws are so similar to their back paws. They don't have thumbs. They the they, bones they, they have toes. <laughs> the bones of Oh my god, a are dog. you an anatomy y- Yeah, lesson. they're actually called like they're differentiated between front and back limbs of metatarsals and metacarpals, uh-huh. I believe. So it's actually the bones of a hand. How similar is it to the feet bones? 
Like it makes sense that they would be it, different. Yeah, they're different. On, on they the, are very similar, but that's what I mean. In the veterinary world, they're at least called the same as hand bones. Okay. So my argument, I, I think I agree with you. Functionally speaking, yes, they run on their their front hands <laughs> the same way that they run on their back hands. Mm-hmm. So I think functionally, in terms of a game of soccer. It would it wouldn't be a handball mm-hmm. because there's no advantage unless I think like I think the real unfair advantage is that he runs on four limbs. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, he's super fast. Yeah, he's super fast, especially when you compare it to eight year olds. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, on a full size soccer field. On a kid size soccer field. Right. Okay. So I think you're right that an argument can be made. Do we see this argument in the movie? Of course we don't, and we're robbed of that. <laughs> Oh, we're left to have it here and now. So the B-plot of this movie starts to get even weirder. Airbud now has six puppies, which later star in the Air Buddies franchise. Mm. He has six puppies who are captured by a villain named Snurbert, who wants to sell them for Whippets. And I mean Whippets the drug, not Whippet the, like, dog type as well. So yeah, it's it's going off the rails of, like... What? All these... Everyone's trying to kidnap either Airbud or the or the buddies always. Everyone wants this dog because he's so yeah. lucrative because he's such a multi-sport athlete. Okay, I my brain did a thing where I was like, how do you turn a dog into a whippet? <laughs> I didn't realize you meant selling Sell them for, for money to buy whippets. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, whippets are made of puppies? Oh, no. Oh, God. So here's a sentence I want to read from the Wikipedia Article. I actually watched this ending clip because the sentence in the summary gave me such whiplash that I needed to see the the real clip. And it goes as follows. So in the movie, for reference, Airbud blah, 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 joins the soccer team. They play really well because Airbud's really good, especially against children. They get it to the championship game, and it goes as follows. The Timberwolves team subsequently wins the championship with Airbud thanks to a game-winning goal by, the, by Airbud. Afterwards, Buddy helps the United States women's national soccer team win the FIFA Women's World Cup in a penalty shootout against Norway. Excuse me? You heard me right. This dog went from winning a a child soccer game to winning the FIFA Women's World Cup. Why women's? Exactly. Right? So there's a long story about soccer in the United States, how women's soccer is arguably almost more competitive than men's soccer because there's more funding for oh, really? U.S. women's soccer compared to other countries. Oh. So they've historically been more dominant. They won the 1999 World Cup mm-hmm. the year before the movie aired. But what happens in this movie is they win the championship game and a woman by the name of Brianna Scurry, who is actually on the real U.S. national team, mm-hmm. sees Airbud and, and sort of winks and says, hey, buddy, we should play together sometime. And then the camera goes like, fast forward four months. It's the championship FIFA Women's World Cup game, and Brianna Scurry, who's the goalkeeper, makes a dive in a penalty shootout, falls on her arm very weakly. Like, it's this would never cause an injury in real oh, yeah. life. And I mean, it's soccer. It's soccer. <laughs> she dives, gets injured, and they need a new goalie. So Airbud steps in. Two things about that. Number one is that Airbud has played the entire movie so far as a like a forward striker. Yeah. He's not a goalie. Second of all, most professional soccer teams, especially in World Cups, will carry two backup keepers. So this is a real case, unlike the first movie where it's like, who did the dog replace? Everyone was injured. It's fine. Mm -hmm. This is a real case of like, no, there are two 
women soccer stars goalies on the bench right now that Airbud is most likely replacing. Yeah. And this feels a lot weirder. Oh, man. Let alone the gender specifics of Airbud is now a male dog playing yeah. in a uh, in a women's tournament and the implications of are you saying that dogs are better than women at sports and like it feels so much so much worse than than any any point so far in the Airbud franchise. Well, we know now that Airbud has children that he is not fixed. So my previous argument very uh, astute point. Thank you. <laughs> nullified. <laughs> yes, Airbud is is a male dog has had children. And plays in the Women's World Cup. Interesting. And it, there's cameos from actual uh, other stars, including Tisha Venturini and Brandi Chastain, who's regarded as one of the greatest female soccer players of mm. all time. So it feels very demeaning in my mind, at least, to have this dog come in. Oh, don't worry. We'll let the dog play. Yeah. Anyways, I have a lot of ire against this moment in the history. I know. I was going to say, I also love that you managed to sneak in more soccer into this topic. It's a soccer podcast. <laughs> I just have to find creative ways to sneak it in. Oh, man. We're going to take a break before we go into the next Airbud movie. Time for an ad. He was a highly decorated U.S. Ranger who got caught in the wrong place at the wrong time. He tried to defend his wife in a drunken brawl, but accidentally killed a guy. Now, after serving the last of his prison sentence, Buddy is taking the first plane home to his wife and puppies. But that very plane is full of the most dangerous criminals in America, and they're about to take over. You've seen him play sports, but can he stop these convicts and save the day? Coming to theaters this spring, 2021. Con Airbud. And we're back. So, so far we've seen Airbud play soccer basketball and football yeah coming what's up what's next coming up next wait can i guess yes uh, volleyball yep <gasps> okay but there's two more there's two more do we do baseball no i don't yet. know what we did oh so baseball it's baseball yeah, yeah. oh my god it's a it's a <laughs> dog chasing a ball it's a dog chasing a ball why wasn't this the first movie you'd think <laughs> a dog chasing a ball would be easy but we'll find out how difficult it actually is oh, i can't wait so the Airbud baseball movie was called are you ready for it no, I'm not. Airbud seventh inning fetch. Oh man. Which is a playoff the the baseball term seventh inning stretch. Yep. Which is just in my mind a perfect term of how absolutely boring baseball is. The fact that they've instituted this term for anyone that doesn't know the seventh inning stretch is in the seventh inning when it's almost at the end of the game, but you're really bored and you've been sitting down for three hours. It encourages the fans to get up, go for a walkabout, buy some beverages or food, and stretch your legs. I was going to say, Simon, have you ever been to a baseball game before? I have once. Oh, you have? I have. Wait, how old were you? Very young, under 10. That's why. So the reason that you go to a baseball game is not to watch baseball. Mm. It's to chat with your friend who you're with, be out, you know, in the crowd, Mm -hmm. you know, pre-COVID time. Uh, and then to buy a bunch of really expensive bevies. <laughs> it's not to watch the baseball. Or bring in your own charcuterie board, which apparently that made a big trend on Instagram. People were bringing in charcuterie boards to the Rogers Center. Shout out to the Sky Dome. Uh, because Ooh. apparently you're allowed to bring your own food. Yeah. So people are just yeah. bringing in you decadent food. load up. Anyways, baseball as a social gathering. Approve. Baseball as a sport. <clears throat> Sorry. I hate it. Let me tell you why. 
baseball. You'd think that dogs would be good at baseball. You'd think that surely a dog catching a ball is an intuitive thing for a dog to do. Dog can't throw. A dog can't throw. And a dog can't bat? Yeah. Except in the Airbud movies where Airbud can bat. Does a dog, like, do they train a dog to swing a bat? Yeah, so they, the way they have Buddy holding the bat is he's standing at home plate with a bat in his mouth looking perpendicular to where the pitcher is at. So he's looking away from yeah. everything into the stands. Yeah. And he sort of tilts his head sideways and brings the bat across the plate to hit the pitch. Yeah. The problem with this is... It's a bunt every time. It's a bunt every time. You're getting no power off this thing. And you're also not even looking at where the ball is coming from. Like I said before, with those predator eyes, the dog is facing away from the pitch and he has to see the ball coming in at 100 miles an hour. You need horse eyes. (laughs) You You need need horse eyes. on either side of your face. Can Airbud play baseball? No, but maybe a horse can. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, he makes makes a terrible batter. But apparently in the movie, I went through and looked at the clips and they have him hitting near home runs with this. Wait, dog-based what? bat strategy. Yeah, it's he's not... he's smashing them. It's not a bunt. It's not a bunt. I would I would maybe make an exception if it was a tiny bunt or something. But he's mm-hmm. he's Barry Bonds in the '90s smashing them across the field. So not only can Airbud questionably bat, but he also <laughs> can't throw the ball very well. And all the scenes where he's sort of tossing the ball back, he's doing a lot a little like roll up into the owner, just sort oh. of a light toss. Another thing is. Baseballs go incredibly fast. Yeah. Right? Like I said before, the, a, a standard pitch in Major League Baseball is over 100 miles an hour, or like 160 kilometers it's an gotta hour. It's got to go so far. It's going to, if a dog is catching that, it's going to shatter its teeth. Well, I'm thinking of the the whiplash he's going to have from oh, yeah. like turning his neck to hit it with mm-hmm. a bat. The like, to, like trying pounds to per square ball. inch of pressure on a dog's jaw is Ugh. insane. So not only can Airbud questionably bat and questionably throw they also put him in one of the worst positions in the field for a dog if you were a baseball coach and had to put a dog on your baseball team where would you put that dog? third base right or between second and third outfield it's outfield by yep. third you're, base you're dead on okay i'm like it's it's to the side it's it's like to the side that dead zone that not a lot of people hit to yeah you imagine that like if they're hitting it way out in the field that a dog can maybe run after the ball faster uh-huh. and maybe provide some benefit that a human can't maybe but the problem is that they put Airbud at first base what which is arguably That's what i was gonna ask yeah it's arguably one of the most demanding bases because you have to catch all the line drives and all like the fouls as well as make intricate plays between the pitcher and second base i still love that this implies that a dog at first base is still better than a human that's the thing again where it's (laughs) it's less clear of the first movie where everyone gets injured this movie just airbud is good enough that he makes the team yeah they're not in some sort of injury crisis like they were before huh so this dog is developing more and more talent as the years go by I wonder how many rule books now and how many sports based have. on Airbud are going <laughs> to specify human players. Like I said, the Airbud clause. Of, <laughs> do you think it's written in any real rule books nowadays of you cannot have a dog play? I hope just for fun. Mm-hmm. So not only is first baseman tricky in terms of the physical requirements of what a dog has to do in terms of catching and throwing between plates, it's also a very mentally taxing job mm. of knowing when you should throw to second base if a player's trying to steal a base, when you should throw back to the picture, how to catch balls, how to receive balls from the outfield. There's a lot going on. And let alone when a dog is at bat, the 
challenging demands of getting a dog to know when to run but then when to stop at a base mm. is very tricky. Oh, yeah. So in the movie, there's a scene where Airbud lines up at bat, hits at midfield, runs to first base, and then knows just to stop there. Which, okay, maybe you can train a dog to like run Simon, to first he base he made and stop. the team. He knows how to play the game. <laughs> he knows how to do it. But then the thing is that Airbud then steals second base. What? So he knows that the pitcher is looking away, and he knows when an appropriate time to steal a base is, that he can steal second base. Which is, that's when all, all realism goes out the door. Okay, I mean, it went out long ago. <laughs> how much, doesn't a good deal of coaching still happen? Yeah, exactly, right? There's there's first base coaches. Yeah. So maybe you could have like an intricate treat system where you're like throwing treats at the next base. So the thing about Airbud seventh inning fetch is the B-plot series that we've come across is only getting more and more insane and off the wall. The B-plot of this movie is that Airbud's puppies are kidnapped by two crooks and a pet raccoon who are trying to discover if Airbud's DNA has a hereditary sports gene. So they're seeing, okay, he can play football, he can play baseball, he can play basketball, he can play soccer. He won a World Cup. That's true. Maybe he's got some sort of genetic thing in him that these Airbud puppies are going to be outstanding at sports. I, j- I, I have no comment. I can't parse this even more unrealistic is at the end of this movie as is with every airbud movie this small kids sports team undergoes a struggle airbud steps it up he helps them win the championship okay great they win the championship but then it does a four months later segment Mm -hmm. where it cuts immediately to the baseball world series like the actual world series and guess who's on the team airbud it's airbud Okay, wait, wait, wait. Just to to clarify, the the baseball team is another children's baseball team. Yes. Right? Yeah. So he's gone again from elementary school level to major league. Yeah. In the span of a few months. In the span of a few months, exactly. Okay. Yep, it's a a quick trajectory. How old is Airbud in dog years? Do we know? Airbud is... Is he an adult? He is I an guess adult. if he's old enough to have puppies. In the first movie when it filmed, I believe he was about eight or nine years old. In human years? In dog years. No, human years. Human years. Oh, for a golden retriever, that's old. Yeah. Wow. So he's getting up there. So not only How is, is he still playing sports? <laughs> there might be different airbuds. I didn't want you to say that as soon as I said it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways. Airbud has this meteoric trajectory where it goes from playing children's basketball to winning the Women's World Cup to not only playing in the World Series, but he also wins the World Series and is named in a brief segment. You can see it on the on the highlight board in the top of the corner in the movie. He's named World Series MVP. What? So not only is, is he in the World Series, but he's the best player by far there. Oh, my God. I mean, I want to figure out a way to play baseball where... All I have to do is tilt my neck a little bit, and somehow I can just Smash home slam runs. homers. Yeah, it's the dream pretty well. One thing I'd like to bring up, though, where a dog does have an advantage over a human playing baseball, instead of catching, it's actually at bat. Because there's an interesting phenomenon in baseball of the strike zone. So the strike zone is the, the area that a pitcher is allowed to throw into that's accepted as a, a good throw or bad throw, whether it's a strike or a ball. Now, the thing with a dog is it's so short and close to the ground that it's going to have a very small strike zone. Mm. It's going to be very hard for a pitcher to actually hit that strike zone to strike Airbud out. 
Never hit it. Never hit it. So I was curious as to what the smallest baseball player ever was to play once I was thinking about this, of how small of a strike zone can you get? And guess what? My research developed into a bit of a tangent. Uh, of course. T-t-t-tangent. Tangent, tangent. So here's a little story for you. The year is 1951. There's a man by the name of Eddie Geidel, and he's three foot seven. He weighs 60 pounds, and he played exactly one game for the St. Louis Browns. Oh, wow. So Eddie Geidel was signed to the team as a part of a publicity stunt by a general manager who had some crazy ideas that he would try to come up with to get more people attending his baseball games. So the idea was that it was part of a doubleheader game, two games in one day, where he would spring this this elaborate ploy to get more people to stick around for the second game of the day. And this involved Eddie Geidel coming out of a large papier-mâché cake between games during this doubleheader. Here's what happened when when three foot seven Eddie Geidel went up to the baseball plate. He was under strict orders not to attempt to swing at any pitch. What? The manager thought that he's he's short enough that as long as he just doesn't swing, they'll get four balls and he'll get the free walk to first base. Oh my god. So the manager who is not only crazy but insane actually warns Geidel himself that he's taken out a million dollar life insurance policy on Geidel. And that he would be standing on the roof of the stadium with a rifle prepared to kill him if he dares swing. Excuse me? Yeah. He says, this is part of my publicity stunt. I don't want it to go wrong. Now, a bit of inspiration. Is that legal? Oh, absolutely not. It's a death threat. It's That's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> so part of the reason for this is there was a short story written 10 years earlier in 1941. Same idea. A person uh, under four foot tall played in a baseball game. They went up three balls. Bunted on the last pitch, was caught, and mm-hmm. called in. So the manager didn't want this to happen at all. He wanted four balls, easy base walk, and that's it. And essentially that's what happened with, with Eddie Geitel, is that he didn't swing at all, he got four balls, and he got a free walk to first base. Now what happened then, there was a bit of a loophole where you were allowed to have a pinch runner. So much like a pinch hitter, where it's like a big player that comes in to, mm-hmm. to swing at bat in big moments, you could substitute out your person on base with someone that can run faster. Right. So they've since gotten rid of this rule. It no longer exists except for a case where somehow someone's injured and you need someone else to run your bases. But they essentially had Eddie Geidel walk to first base after getting a free walk, Mm. and then they substituted him out with a pinch runner to run the rest of the bases. Mm -hmm. Now, what was so hard for the pitcher here was that Eddie Geidel's strike zone was exactly an inch and a half tall. (laughs) So the strike zone was smaller than a baseball is big. So it is physically impossible to throw a strike in that zone. So just to, to clarify how strike zones work, mm-hmm. are they proportional to the person hitting it? Yeah. So the way it works is... Th- it's not it's, just a height thing. It's from it's measured as a box. And the mm. height of the box is from your hip to... It's like a division of the height of your shoulder when dropped and also steady. Okay. So essentially like hip to shoulder forms a box yeah. and it's like a foot or two wide. Okay, that makes more sense. So Thank this idea you. of Eddie Goddell being three foot seven, yeah. very small hip to shoulder ratio, uh-huh. can't even fit a baseball in it. Jeez. Now that's why I think Airbud might have some sort of advantage. <laughs> the way you measure it is going to be different because he's standing horizontally, mm-hmm. so it's harder to draw that box between shoulder and hip. Well... Yeah. Okay, never mind. Sorry, I was thinking of legs, and I'm like, well, which leg is it? But we're not talking about legs. We're talking about shoulders we're and talking hips. talking about shoulders and hips. But it's perpendicular to where it normally is. 
Mm-hmm. But it's just a ratio, right? To it's, draw that box? It's like a line drawn across. But then the line, like, do you know what I mean? The line would be, I didn't say anything, so you don't know what I mean. No. <laughs> a dog. Okay, here's Charlie. Yeah. A dog is 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 horizontal. Yeah. Where we're normally vertical. Mm-hmm. So what does that box look like if it's like all the way stretched That's my point. Here? Is the box like hovering above the dog somehow? Or is it still in, in front of... I hope not. I hope not. Right? These are the ethical conundrums that Airbud has brought up into the world. Well, I mean, the refs figured it out if he could play and they right. knew where he was hitting. Apparently, they must have rewritten the rule book somehow to cause this if he's in the world flipping series. Yeah. So back to Eddie Guidel. That, unfortunately, is the only appearance that he makes and his team, the St. Louis Browns, actually ends up losing the game 6-2. to two. So it doesn't even make an impact in the game. The league commissioner found out about this little stunt the next day oh. and tore up Eddie's contract because he didn't want this kind of shenanigans going on anymore. This makes more sense that you don't actually have to worry about legality because yeah. it was secret. It was secret. Okay, thank you. So this manager, a man by the name of Bill Veek, also had some interesting other publicity stunts that he tried to get more people to attend his baseball games. Oh boy. St. Louis Browns weren't a great team at the time, but he had one interesting ploy that went like this. He called it Grandstand Manager's Day. And how it worked was the day before the game, he encouraged fans to submit what they thought the starting lineup to the team should be. Mm. So the fans get full choice of who goes on the field, who goes where, who does what. And during the game, he would hand out giant placards that they got to hold saying things like yes, no, uh, swing, bunt, hold. So they would all hold up their placards, all 18,000 fans in the crowd. Oh, my God. And they would essentially dictate to the manager looking at this, and he would convey that to the players of, you should swing on this pitch. You should not hit on this pitch. Oh, wow. And essentially have the fans control the baseball game, which is, this is 1951, so this is 60-plus years before the worldwide phenomenon known as Twitch Plays Pokemon, where thousands of fans come together and all interactively play one game it already happened with baseball with baseball right so this idea of like this cool synergy of having Mm. all these people together come together to play one game that's really cool and what's cool about that game is the team won the team won five to three and they snapped a four game losing streak what so unfortunately i don't know why i couldn't find anything that Uh, said the crowd was better than their manager the crowd was better than the manager I, I I don't even know. She's speechless. I'm speechless. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. So unfortunately, I couldn't find anything that said if they did this again. I think it was just a one-off. But mm. I mean, if you've got a winning formula, why not keep trying it? Exactly. So that's the end of my tangent. T-t-t-tangent. We're rounding the corner and rounding the bases, if you will, of the Airbud movies because we only have one Airbud movie left. No. And that movie is about volleyball. I knew it. So the final movie in the Airbud quintilogy, five movies, I think, is called Airbud Spikes Back. Of course. <laughs> They've got to come up with some sort of pun in the title. And it premiered in 2003. So the thing about this movie is it's fine, it's not great. <laughs> It's not stellar by any means. It doesn't have any leg up, no pun intended, on any of the other Airbud movies. Airbud's semi-believable in mm. playing volleyball. Anytime the sort of other team hits yeah. it to his side, he can sort of nuzzle it up with his nose yeah. and sort of bump it up for a, a, a 
for a player on his team to sort of hit back over. Mm-hmm. He's not a bad volleyball player. There is one poorly edited scene where his tiny dog hands appear above the net to block a spike, which is... It looks really bad. Oh, no. <laughs> because for the rest of the scenes, it's actually Airbud that's hitting either the ball or, like, the fake ball or yeah. the toy or something. But it's a dog playing sports, right? So it's at least somewhat believable. Yeah, yeah, So, yeah, Airbud plays volleyball. Is he good at it? A little. At least be- more believable. Okay. Than I'll some of the other that. soccer playing or baseball playing movies. You make it sound like you have seen this movie. I particularly was... I watched most of the clips of Airbud actually playing these sports. Okay. Because there's a lot of filler, like I said, with all these crazy B-plots and little Mikey struggling at school or falling in love with his crushes and all that. <gasps> coming of age stories? It's, it's a oh, lot of coming of age stories, which I think you'd like yep. because it's that cheese 90s peak. Oh, give it to me. <laughs> so another benefit that Airbud has while playing volleyball, at least, compared to other sports, is that they play not only beach volleyball, which I guess is more supportive on his little paws than a hard court or something they doesn't he doesn't need doggy shoes like (laughs) (laughs) like the original airbud but it's a six man version or six dog version of volleyball instead of the two-man beach volleyball Mm. so the benefit of this is that as opposed to like a five-person basketball team having six players yep is there's a little bit more room for error if your dog is dead weight (laughs) oh yep as opposed to if you're a two-man volleyball team mm-hmm. and one of them is Airbud, you best be hustling all the time oh, because yeah. your dog's not hitting any of the you high shots. You gotta spike back. You gotta spike back. Airbud spikes back. The B plot of this movie is that Buddy teams up with a talking parrot to stop a pair of jewel thieves that are trying to steal a valuable diamond. I'm sorry. Yeah, Airbud now solves crimes as well as plays sports. He does he does it all, folks. He, wow. It's like how many threats is he now? At least quintuple in terms of sports. (laughs) In terms of sports. The movie eventually ends. He wins the local championship with his team and owners. And then once again, there's a quick cut where he's playing a pro beach volleyball match with Gabrielle Reese, who's a a pro beach volleyball player at the time, playing two-man volleyball, (laughs) and they win whatever championship that fake tournament is supposed to be. Yeah. So now he's a volleyball winning, World Series MVP, World Cup winning dog. I mean, like, doesn't it become a little old or a little stale? You would think. You would think once they're scratching their head and going, Ugh, what other sports could he do? Volleyball, maybe? I mean, if he can do baseball, he can do tennis. Really? You think he could do? I think he can swing a racket. He could swing his head back and forth yeah. with a racket in his teeth. Yeah. I think I could see it. Or at least be the ball boy. Mm. And then get called on to court. Look, I'm writing the next Airbud movie. Write this down, folks. Got gold here, gold. No, don't write it down. Simon, you write it down. (laughs) So my major thought about all these Airbud movies is that there's a particular major sport missing. And you touched on this earlier, and it's hockey. Hockey. Why doesn't Airbud play hockey? Oh my god, to see a dog in four little skates. Right? Just scooting around? How cute would that be? Even like road hockey or floor hockey or ball hockey. Like whatever you want to call it when it's mm. not on skates. Yeah. Now, the reason why there's no dog hockey movie is oh. because at the same time, there was a chimp hockey movie that oh, beat right. it to the punch. And that, of course, is MVP, Most Valuable Primate. Yes. Which stars a, belo- a lovable, beloved hockey playing champ lovable who skates around and is seems more decent than airpod playing some sports i'd okay. say at least 
I think another problem too of Airbud not playing hockey is they couldn't come up with a good enough pun. It's oh come on what? There's got to be something. I mean, you could call it Airbud Stanley Pup. You could call it Airbud and the Skate Dane. You could call it oh Airbud Two Minute Penalty for Roughing. I didn't know this was happening. <laughs> In my mind, none of those are as good as Golden Receiver or World Pup. So they just had to go with Most Valuable Primate, I guess. For anyone that doesn't know about MVP, the most valuable primate, they actually got a real chimp to skate on ice. So the way they got that to happen was that they had to make custom CCM skates for this chimp to skate around. Oh I pulled up God. an article from the CBC from the year 2000 when it what? aired called Monkey See, Monkey Skate. No! <laughs> in which they describe working with the CCM factory in Quebec where they had to send foot tracings of the <gasps> chimp's feet for them to make these custom skates. What? So they didn't actually pay for the skates, but the marketing alone of having the chimp in this movie be decked out in CCM gear was enough for the, the company that made this as sort of a tie-in sponsorship. Oh my God. And here's a quote from Andre Jolie, who was the skate factory manager at the time. He said, at first I thought it was a joke when I heard that we had to make chimpanzee skates. But even after I received the chimp's foot tracings, I still thought it was a joke. <laughs> The skates we ended up designing basically combined a size 3 junior skate with a size 8 toe cap. I was going to say, like, their feet are so different proportionally than ours are. Exactly. Chimpanzees have a very large sort of protruding, almost thumb-like toe. Yeah. When That's how they grab onto branches I was going to say, that they have another set of hands. They're like opposite dogs. Mm -hmm. Dogs have all feet. Chimps Ex have all hands. <laughs> Chimps all hands. So, yeah, they have to make this weird and wonky skate with this huge toe cap to end up fitting these these monkey feet inside of them. Can you imagine if our feet were hands? Like, imagine how shoes would look. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just thinking about if all shoes were were hand finky toes. And then the question would be, how much better at sports would we be as a society with our hand feet? Oh, man. Could we, like, dribble a basketball with our feet now as well as our hands? You do, okay, it like bring, a crab brings walk? a whole new meaning to cartwheels because you'll just be on your hands the whole time. Infinite cartwheels. Think about tennis or think about hockey or anything where you're holding a stick. Mm -hmm. Like, do you swap it with your foot? Double sticks, double rackets. I just talked about shoes, and now I'm assuming that your feet are bare while playing these, <laughs> apparently. Oh, so. no. I'm just imagining the sound of, like, wet feet slapping across a basketball court. creating a soundscape this is a lot of spikes that i'll have to edit out i think Sorry. <laughs> so the key piece of evidence behind what i found of mvp is that are you ready for it it was actually written and directed by the same person that did airbud what so that's why they didn't make an airbud hockey movie is because the same guy was was making a, a chimp on. skating movie hang on that was trickery you told me that the competition was doing hockey you made it seem like MVP was competing with Airbud for movie. I didn't mean to be, be <gasps> facetious. How could they just you? had the idea and thought it was better with a chimp, I guess. <laughs> I love it. There's no way we can teach this dog hockey. <laughs> we need we need at least a chimpanzee in here. Bring in the monkey. So yeah, the, a man by the name of Robert Vince, who's a Canadian director, producer, and writer, comes from Vancouver, wrote and produced. Most of these movies that I've talked about so far. Oh. So he produced all of the Airbud movies, and he wrote and directed for the movies that I will list as follows. <laughs> Most Valuable Primate, Chimp Plays Hockey. Most Vertical Primate, where Chimp 
skateboards. Most extreme primate were a chimp. He snowboards in that movie. That's right. What? He also produced Chestnut, Hero of Central Park, about a Great Dane. Spy Mate, which is a chimpanzee spy. The Duke, which is a Scottish dog that inherits a castle. What? (laughs) He then goes on and produces all the Air Buddies movies. Air Buddies, Snow Buddies, Space Buddies, Santa Buddies. Spooky Buddies, Treasure Buddies, Super Buddies, also The Search for Santa Paws, Search for Santa Paws 2, Santa Pups, as well as movies called Russell Madness, Monkey Up, Pup Star, Pup Star 2, Pup Star World Tour, Pup Star Christmas, and Pup Academy. I'm really impressed with your enunciation oh, and, thank you. and saying pup that many times. <laughs> the impressive thing is that halfway through, these movies don't even have Wikipedia pages. They're just directed DVD oh, really? garbage that no one has bothered to write about. Wow. So I can't even find anything on Pup Academy or Pup Star World Tour, unfortunately. Not even a wiki page. Not even a wiki page. That's disappointing. Another cool thing about Robert Vince, this director, is that he started out doing thrillers and neo-noir movies. What? In the early 90s from 1991 to 1996. And then 1997 did a hard pivot to Air Bud and then continued on making children's animal sports movies from there. So a bit of a career change, but it's... Been pretty successful for him. Yeah. The 12 Airbud movies, including the Air Buddies movies, have made over $220 million total. Oh my God. As well as being the cultural phenomenon known as Airbud. Everyone knows Airbud, even if you haven't Air seen Bud. it. Everyone right. knows it. It's so ridiculous of a concept that it <laughs> sticks around for a while. So it was Robert Vince all along that was responsible for all these animal playing sports based movies that were clogging up my mindscape this whole entire time. <laughs> How dare he? How dare he? And my question for you is, if you were to write a movie about an animal playing sport, what animal would that be and what sport would you like to see? Whether it's something that would be convincible as a good sport or just something fun to see. Uh, I would make a movie about Charlie mm. uh, curling. Ooh. Just so that he can yell the things. <laughs> Hurry hard! Meow! Yeah! Meow! Wah! Wah! I would love to see that. Yeah. That's a, that's a thing I like to touch on is that there's so many dog playing sports movies, but there's saying. not enough love for cats. No, cats are always a bad guy and yeah. they're not. Cats have those, as they say, cat-like reflexes <laughs> where imagine a cat playing tennis or something and like jumping up and hitting a ball back. Mm-hmm. Or... I think curling is believable. Yeah, I, de- I can definitely see it. Now the question is, would he push the stone or would he ride on the stone? Right? Like, imagine if as they're sweeping and the, and the rock is flying by, if he's on the rock yelling, hurry hard, hurry hard. I feel like that would be breaking the rules too much. Mm. So he would he would push it. Right. Or have it in his mouth and then, like, let it go. Mm-hmm. He'd, like, slide on the ice and then carefully let the stone go. Right. It's that idea of you want an animal to still play the sport, not mm-hmm. just to break the convention. Yes. Like you don't want like an elephant in a hockey net just sitting there blocking it, right? Yeah. You want an elephant skating on ice. Exactly. And like holding the stick with its trunk or something. That's much more enjoyable to see, if not worse as a player. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. exactly. I'll, maybe I'll pose it to a question to our listeners at home. What's a sport that you would like to see an animal play? whether it's pro leagues or just for fun, let us know. And maybe I'll make a Photoshop of that. I was going to say, I would love to see Simon create <laughs> all of your wonderful ideas and post them to our Instagram. Yeah. My life is a lightning talk, all one word, on Instagram.
So in conclusion to my question that I was thinking at the beginning of this episode, why are there so many movies in the 90s and 2000s with animals and why did so many play sports? Is that it's generally cheap to produce these movies. Yeah. Small budgets from a small studio can make this movie, put it together. Simple plot line, family coming together, very wholesome content, children approved, families love it. It also doesn't involve expensive techniques like animation or CGI. Mm Mm-hmm. The introduction and the expansion of the home theater system, along with the growth of VHS and DVD sales, led to this new emerging market that was begging for content, especially something that was so easy to produce. Begging like a dog at the dinner table. (laughs) Or on the sports field. Or on the sports field, begging for those points. Yeah. And in my mind, why are there so many movies about animals playing sports? Well, it turns out that it's just made all by one man, Robert Vince, who had this brainchild in the 90s and developed this unique niche in which he made something super popular. Wow. That's wild that one man is responsible for all of that. Mm-hmm. I'm still not over that. I mean, like, like does he just source the animals? Does he have some weird, like, Tiger King-esque zoo mm. where he lives? He's got... Golden Retriever Empire. Right? The lesser-known Netflix sequel. Like a retriever ranch. Mm. With, apparently, a chimpanzee. The Wikipedia articles are too small, so unfortunately I don't know. Oh, that's so sad. Should we become investigative journalists? I think so. I think we're on our way there. It's the only answer. Pitch this podcast to a radio station and <laughs> there we go. There we go. So that's the end of this episode of My Life is a Lightning Talk. Hope you learned something. Hope you laughed. Bye. It's an outro song. It's an outro song. Outro song. Don't use this. I mean, I might know that you said it. Oh, no.